whatever you can build, you can do. And nobody, you don't have to um, have it audited. You don't have to um, have somebody check to make sure you're doing what you say you're doing. Um, you just get to do whatever you want. And so the software will only be as good as the people that build it. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 82 of the Command of Voice. Today, I continue my conversation with Tobin Fekas. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I continue my conversation with Tobin Fekas. So if you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to that um, from last week. Um, but this episode, we get into all of the stuff of what Tobin does on a regular basis, what his company does. His company is Lunatech Northwest. And um, really kind of the ins and outs of computer programming. And what I found fascinating about our conversation today is that you know, in in, converse, in computer programming, something we hear a lot about. We hear a lot about the internet and computer programming and data usage and um, what are these programmings doing in the background. But it's not something that we intuitively understand. We just know that there's something somewhere out there that's doing stuff. And so Tobin gets into a lot of the ethical side of computer programming. Um, the other thing that I find really fascinating is um, despite his whole job being focused around computer programming and system building and apps and stuff like that, he's very negative about everything technology-based. Um, and so we get into that and why, why he feels that way. So anyways, without further ado, here's the rest of my conversation with Tobin Fekas. Yeah, very cool. So what, what did you do upon getting back then? Uh, upon getting back, uh, one of the first things I did was watch the World Cup. Uh, because it was 2010, I believe. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I remember that was the first thing I did. <laughs> Loved that. Um, uh, what did I do? I started moving furniture because it's a yeah, it's just what my family does. We all uh, work for a moving company in Everett, and so I move furniture and. Um, not really my cup of tea, um, and ended up getting getting recommended or hired. I don't know what the right word is. The owner of the moving company, um, he has a sister who owns a software company in Florida, and they needed their site translated to Spanish, and they did 3D modeling and data entry, and they kind of needed a needed somebody to translate their site, but also do techie things. So uh, the owner of the company I was working for actually got me a, <laughs> he got me a different job. <laughs> that was kind of weird. And he's now my neighbor. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I worked remotely for that company back in 2011, I guess, 10, 11, 12, something like that. And did, um, uh, translation for Spanish and data entry and 3d modeling stuff. Um, and ended up, uh, coming, uh, to, well, I would drive by Camino Island Coffee Roasters almost every day. Um, when I was moving furniture and um, had some friends there. And through, I don't know, I don't know, six, eight, ten months, um, became friends with uh, one of the guys that was managing the place, and he needed a technical 
I don't know if there's a term for it. I just need somebody technical. And I was technical. I didn't necessarily know software development or programming or web development or hardware stuff, but I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and I'm still dangerous. Um, but they kind of had a, you know, an internship type thing for um, kind of getting the ball rolling on some stuff back in the day. But uh, so, yeah, just stopping by to say hi to friends over the course of eight months turned into, hey, we need some help. And so that's kind of how that rolled into Command Island Coffee Roasters, and I ended up being there for five years, and that's really where I learned how to do software development. I had done technical things, hardware, software, networking, routing, web stuff, but nothing as as um, practical as that. Like, a lot of school and college is theoretical, um, mm -hmm. but when you're in the business and you have to figure things out by tomorrow or by this afternoon mm -hmm. or by six days ago, um, it's very practical and you just, you learn on the job. You, it's trial, what do they say? Trial by fire or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, emphasis on the fire. Uh, <laughs> it was that exactly, every day. It was always behind. It was always on fire. <laughs> and we were doing really cool things, actually. Uh, we were doing phenomenal things. And so, yeah, I had the opportunity there to really, um, like, I didn't, I didn't go to college. I have one day of Everett Community College under my belt, and then I dropped out. But um, <clears throat> that's, that was my college education. I spent five years basically being paid to learn how to code or learn, learn how to solve uh, business processes or problems using technology. Not just software, not just hardware, but just the entire world of what's possible and how can we fix this problem. Um, just a huge range of problems. F mobile phones, computers, back-end office management, uh, shipping labels, um, credit cards, emails, um, you name it. It's just like every day was different, and it was like, we don't know how to do this, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I, I know this is jumping ahead, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but... Um, I know at this point you have a very good understanding of the theoretical as well. Where did that come in? Because you were learning a lot of the hands-on practical. Uh, oh, boy. Where did that come in? Um, I don't know. I've... I mean... Uh, that's a good question. I guess I've just always been around technology, but not... but not been consumed by it or worshipped it. Like, <laughs> I'm very pessimistic about technology and its role in our lives and how much we should um, use of it. But I've always been a... I've always... Like, it's always been what I do. I just don't like a lot of what it does. And so <laughs> I've had... I've had a different view of it. And I don't know if that gets into the theoretical, but in Mexico... Um, I don't know, you just get to see all these uses of it and you start to notice a lot of it's pattern matching and logic and you start to notice patterns whether you're in Mexico in 2008 or in, uh, you know, on Camino Island 2021. Um, there's a lot of, like, how fast does technology move? And we just kind of blindly accept it into our lives and I think it moves so quickly that we don't stop to question things and I like to question why we're doing what we're doing and I don't think we're doing a lot of good with what we're doing but I don't know if that gets into theoretical I've just had so many opportunities between Mexico and Camino and Coffee Roasters and then my next job after that to just see technology in so many different facets and start to connect dots of what we should and shouldn't do with it 
Um, and a lot of it, honestly, it follows creation, like things that are good for trees and plants and rivers and birds and insects. Like the way those systems work mm-hmm. is actually how programming works too. We just can't see it because it's abstract. Um, it's kind of hidden. You can do a lot of you can do a lot of sketchy things with technology because you can hide things. Um, I mean, this is literally happening this week with Robinhood and whatever else is going on. But um, and we can get into Uber and Postmates and uh, Instagram and Facebook and uh, Airbnb and WeWork. Uh, Zenefits, uh, go down the list. There's a lot of them. But um, yeah, if you stop and take a look at technology, like I guess maybe that's the the theoretical part is you like <laughs> pull the curtains back and pay attention to where we're going and why we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like a lot of it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so um, before we continue on in your career, then could you, because it's one of those things that people hear the word computer programming. They know that it happens, and they know that it does stuff on phones and with apps and stuff. How would you define and explain computer programming? Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, the one, uh, okay, the one that comes, I'll give you the short version first. Uh, the one that comes to mind is, um, I say this, I started teaching programming classes too, and the very first thing I say to my students, and I say it all the time, is computers are stupid. Um, we think computers are magical and wizardry and all that, but really computers are really, really, really quite impressively stupid. (laughs) Um, shockingly so. Um, so I say that because computer programming, um, the way, the, the way I describe that or answer your question is if you ask me to get up out of my chair and we'll go walk out the front door, um, you say that to a human and there's like a thousand things in there that are assumed that you don't ever have to think about explaining. Like if I say, get up out of your chair and go walk out the front door, the computer would say, what do you mean by chair? What's a chair? Or get up. Like what is up while you're sitting down? Well, what is sitting down? And go walk out the door. Okay, well, what's a door and where is it? And how do I get there? It's like, well, walk straight and turn right. Well, when do I turn right? Uh, okay, well, turn right there. Okay, when do I stop? And so you can't just say, go get up out of your chair and go walk out the front door. You have to say, you have to define what a chair is. And then you start getting into that. Well, what is a chair? And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to get exhausting. Um, and so that's kind of how I describe your computer programming is that Computer, we take for granted how conscious we are and how much we assume and how much trust that builds um, that the other person knows what we're talking about. Like there's a lot of, we operate every day off trust that's built into the system and we don't necessarily recognize it or appreciate it until it's not there. Then we're like, hey, why did that happen? It's because I don't trust you. (laughs) So I get security alarms and I put passcodes on my phone and, you know, get a garage door opener or whatever. Um, Computer programming is breaking things down into just pure logic. Um, And it's very... It's very fun. It's like puzzles. Um, I mean, it's like Sudoku, Rubik's Cube, or crossword puzzles. I mean, it's very puzzle-oriented, but it's just, it's pure logic. It's on-off. It's binary. It's true-false. Um, and that's kind of the example of walking out the door 
um, or getting a better turn walking out of the door is just a series of true false. When do I turn? Do I turn right here? Nope. Do I turn right here? Nope. Do I turn right here? Nope. Do I turn right here? Yes. And then they turn right and they just keep going right until you tell them to stop. <laughs> and, you know, that's a lot of programming is like, hey, I told it, I told it to do the right thing. And it's like, well, but you didn't tell it when to stop doing the right thing. And that's problematic. Um, so computer programming is breaking things down into logic. Um, and you can kind of go... You can kind of go, uh, how do I describe this? Humans are relational and computers are logical. And when we break things down into purely logical problems, we leave out the relational part of technology. And that's how we interface with it. And we have, for many years, just assumed that more technology is good. And I fundamentally disagree with that because, um, well, I mean, look around us. Because um, we left out the relational part. And so... Computer programming is the logical part, um, but they also don't do anything without us telling them how to do it. Um, there's a lot of companies and services and software and particularly big companies that hide behind things and get away with things because they say, oh, well, the, you know, the, the algorithm did that or the, the server did that or the machine did that. It's like, well, we told it to. Like, somebody built that. Yeah. They had to. So... Yeah, uh, computer programming is fun, um, but it also requires a lot of ethics and morality. Uh, big, like the first week or two of my class is actually about ethical computer programming, like using software to help people not using software to abuse systems or make money or hide things or whatever. It's computers will be as ethical as we tell them to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, um, in your career then, you, you were with Kamino and Coffee, and then what happened from there then? So I worked for Kamino and Coffee Roasters from 2011 to 2016, and we primarily um, built custom e-commerce sy system or systems. We did quite a few different migrations, um, different, I mean, how many different companies? Three, four, five different companies and just everything related to that um but also like you know the marketplace pos systems um fiber optic installs uh email servers like just anything that a company needs these days we just kind of did as much as we could in-house um it's it's cheaper but it takes longer and is more buggy but you, <laughs> but you learn more. So, I mean, that's why I say it was like a college education. It's four years of just like thinking that you're building something and then you're actually breaking something and then you have to figure out how to fix it. And then that breaks two other things and you figure, figure out how to fix that. Um, so, I mean, it's cheaper because you're not paying like a professional, but you're basically investing in your people to learn how to solve problems. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, did that for five years here and then went to Classic Farms in Stanwood. Um, and they do organic produce delivery from uh, farms all around the Puget Sound. And so uh, did the exact same thing there. Uh, took all the knowledge of problem solving and e-commerce systems here, and they had a uh, kind of an, uh, an e-commerce system from 2006, and here we were in 2016. Um, and they were stuck. And the way that it was built by a team that was outsourced um, to another continent, uh, the way it was built, could never be updated. Um, it was stuck. And, uh, you know, the web moves quick. And if you don't play catch up, eventually they leave you behind. Mm -hmm. And so 
the owner there, Tristan, Tristan Klesik, he uh, hired me for a couple of years to just sit in the office and rebuild the whole software system and platform for the company. Um, and um, so I did that 2016-17. We launched... Uh, we launched that platform the week before Christmas 2017, which I never recommend doing. <laughs> um, not only did we migrate a 10-year-old's e-commerce system, uh, we also changed domain names, changed credit card providers, changed email providers. Uh, we did it all in one weekend. And, you know, it wasn't a very fun experience, but I sure learned a lot. <laughs> and so I was there for... Five years as, or four, 16, 17, yeah, five years. Um, developed e-commerce uh, systems there and then kind of turned it into a platform and then other companies started realizing what we had built. Um, and so it's just a whole, it basically is a, it's a platform to run an entire company, whether you're doing delivery or shipping or pickup or whatever it is. Um, and so when other people started to, take notice of it, then I stepped down. I had been managing the day-to-day. Like, I had been doing programming, but uh, that kind of morphed into managing the day-to-day and doing HR and payroll and, and, you know, ordering produce and doing deliveries. Um, So I stepped down at the end of 2019 Mm -hmm. to start my own company to do, uh, like, software services, kind of like a web dev agency, but... Um, take this platform to other companies who need technical help because things like Amazon and Salesforce and Microsoft and anybody who has angel investment funds can pretty much decimate industries and get rid of the small guys and just price them out. And I think the small businesses need a lot of... Somebody needs to build software for the small businesses because the the Amazons of the world, uh, well, they just don't stop at anything. They will eat your lunch. And so I'd rather have organic produce for lunch than stuff from Amazon. And so I'd like to build software for small, I don't know, farms, coffee roasters, uh, meat delivery. Like we have, I just, I want to build software for people that um, really appreciate it. And there's not a lot of people building software for the small guys. Yeah. So. Very cool. What was that like for you, deciding to step out on your own? Did you feel like you were pretty well prepared with working with small businesses, or was it still all super new? Um, Well, it was actually kind of the goal early on. I I mean, this is like 10 years in the making. Um, I kind of always wanted to do this, and even subconsciously, probably really early on. But I realized at the Coffee Roasters that... I had basically had a five-year college education, not only into how to do software development, but how businesses work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh. so, but I didn't know the people part. And so then I went and worked at the Classics for f- those four or five years um, to learn how to work with people. Tristan is incredible with uh, employees, vendors, um, clients, like anybody ever meets. And so I needed to figure out the people part of software development. And um, not only just like software development, but like you can't run a business these days without 
a massive dependency on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be a barista these days without knowing how to use iPad apps and various dongles and adapters and <laughs> connect to Wi-Fi and restart your iPad and restart this device. Like you can't, you can't deliver packages without knowing how to use an iPad and a scanner and a QR code. And like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, even if you're a secretary to church, like your job is on a computer in right. some way, shape or form. And so, um, learning how to integrate the tech side with the people side, I'd, I'd learned the tech side and I needed to go learn how to do the people side because yeah. there's still like the best technology is relational technology. How do you get people to be relational? Like, don't use technology to eliminate people. Use technology to connect them. And, there's, <laughs> well, that sounds weird. That's kind of what Facebook thinks, but that's not what they do. Um, <laughs> so um, I needed to go learn the people part of how to work with people and manage people and um, serve people, but also do their their technical side, like how... I know that your job involves all sorts of technology and credit card readers and phones and um, how do I work with you and help you to work with those? Um, How do I enable you or empower you or whatever word we want to use to make your job not suck? Because so much of... Because I don't like technology. Well, just so much of the rampant technology invading our lives is that in order to be cheap, we outsource it all to six different services, and then you're stuck managing six different spreadsheets, moving data back and forth, and it's like, that's not what we were designed to do. Like, just stare at a spreadsheet or an email client or whatever it is, just servicing the tech. Like, the tech should serve you, not you have to manage and figure out how all these things work. Oh, and by golly, next month, the whole interface is going to change because we updated it, and now you don't know how anything works, and half of it works. Um, So... Learning how to build things in such a way that the people were the priority and the tech was not. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that in a lot of tech because it is, it's built for scale, not for people. Yeah. Very cool. So then with with your new company, and your company is called Lunatech, which I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but Lunatech Northwest. um, What does Lunatech Northwest do? Um, we service, um, so like, I guess it's kind of three things. One, I service the platform that I built at the Classics, um, to manage an entire company, basically. Um, so that's kind of one arm of it. Uh, the second arm is just building custom tools like, um, you know, uh, if you are even a moderately sized e-commerce business or even in person, um, or pickup or shipping, however you do business, it involves tech in such a way that you have custom needs. Um, there's so much, so much tech and software and services and things you can subscribe to are free or cheap because they are cookie cutter and you can get like, you know, 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90% of the market to use it. As the more generic you go, the bigger your market is. Like, that's just kind of a fundamental truth. Um, but we all do business differently, and eventually you get into these 20 or 10% of, there's not a tool that exists to do what I need it to. Mm-hmm. And so, can we build it? Like, maybe, maybe we can't. I mean, we can make software do whatever we want, but whether we should is a different question. And so, there are... A lot of businesses that rely and depend on 
the quality of what they're doing and not the quantity of what they're doing. And it's worth it to spend money to build something custom to do this thing I want it to do. I want the experience to be like this. Yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't exist because you're the only person that ever wants that, so nobody's built that. Um, and some businesses, that's important to them. And so that's kind of the second arm is just doing custom tooling and a lot of it honestly is admin side so like i don't really care about how websites look i don't really care about making the coolest looking app actually i care very little about that um i care about how that works for the business because you can make some cool app or some cool website um that gets a lot of sales and that's you know fun and dandy um but it's probably a nightmare to actually be on the admin side of that um fulfilling it or managing it or maintaining it or, you know, something changes and now you got to go through all these orders. Like there's a whole, when you make a sale online, there's a whole list of things that need to happen in order. And if they change or if, you know, if any variable on there changes, it's a nightmare for the admin to service it. So I care far more about the admin side, the data side, um, the process, like how do we efficiently do all this? And I just simply don't care about the front end and making a pretty website. Yeah. I think that's kind of a waste of time and a lot of waste of money. Um, so as uh, TJ Fittis likes to say uh, from the Camino and Coffee Roasters, you don't drink the website. Like <laughs> all the, You can put all the money you want to in the website. People don't drink the website. They drink the coffee. And so put your money into what actually makes your product good, not just how to display your product. Right. Um, so I like doing the custom tooling to make the administrative side more tolerable because right. so much of that is just a pain to manage. Right. And then uh, the third arm would be teaching. Uh, I like teaching not only software development, but um, ethics in technology management, what we allow into our lives and what we encourage and where our money goes. Um, <clears throat> I, I like to give the example of in Washington State if you want to be um, if you want to do uh, fingernails like do paint nails mm-hmm. um, you have to be licensed by the state and you have to have like 600 hours and you have to have an apprentice and then um, every year you have to um, get a renewal uh, through the state of Washington to paint nails and that was shocking to me when I first heard that not because of the nail part but because I'm developing software that can, you know, at any point in time, you know, I've got access to people's browsing history and credit cards and addresses and order history and, like, everything that we do online is tracked and logged and analyzed. And here I am on Camino Island having access to all this and no one knows or cares or checks. Like, there's no, in programming and in software, there's no checks and balances. It's just, Mm -hmm. like, the Wild West Um, it's a free world whatever you can build you can do and nobody you don't have to um, have it audited you don't have to um, have somebody check to make sure you're doing what you say you're doing Um, you just get to do whatever you want and so the software will only be as good as the people that build it Mm -hmm. and so teaching software development is important to me to teach like, you can't just go around legislating or regulating everything. Right. Um, you kind of have to start at the ground level and teach people to use it. Um, use it or use it and build it in a way that allows people to flourish. And it will only be as good as the people. So if you start by doing the, mor- the moral and ethical part of what you should and shouldn't build, mm-hmm. and obviously that's a 
big bucket and probably a big gray area. But there's not really any standards. There's no legislative body of saying, you know, what we can and can't do as programmers. Where, right. where you do, like if you want to release a car, if you want to release a medication, or you want to release food, like you have to get a food handler's permit. There's no such thing as that in programming. There is no, like, standard that you have to meet. It's just go build whatever you want. And that, um, like, I don't have to tell anybody that that's proven to be very dangerous. Yeah. Just look around. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it is, it's one of those things that, like, when you really think about that, that is so, like, it's so crazy to me. Just the, the abilities and the things that you can do in the background that you can tuck into this corner or that corner that can do things without you even knowing it. <laughs> and despite all that, and, and it's one of those things that I don't think the government, it's not that they're not aware. It's just they, it's such a big, it's a needle in a haystack and the haystack is infinite. Right. And people are inventing new things that look like hay that they're throwing <laughs> into the haystack. Yep. Like, no, oh, that's just hay. All right, keep looking for the needle. Like, yep. it's just crazy when you think of how big that really is. Yep. Yeah, and it, it I don't want to, like, point too many fingers. It's really easy to point a finger back, hey, look, look at what they're doing. That's bad. Or look at what they're doing. And honestly, like, it's hard. Like, it's hard. Like, even the platform, <clears throat> even the platform that I built, like, to have somebody else come in and actually audit it and make sure it's doing what it's doing, like, it's so complicated and so um, complex that you can't just simply like it's not like a book you open up and find the page and then oh yeah that's yeah that's what it's doing it's all very abstract and layered um and so honestly if we had the sort of accountability or responsibility that we need it would be too expensive and we wouldn't do it because you'd have to basically hire one or two or three people per programmer for them to just audit that it is doing what it said it's doing. And then you do that over the scope of time and, or the spectrum of time, and it's like software changes every day. And your apps change. I mean, how often are we updating apps on our phones or right. updating our phones? Um, so to actually have a regulatory system or accountability, a checks and balance um, system in place, software would become too expensive. Like, it's already expensive. Right. Like, you know... Facebook uh, has some of the highest paid employees. Uh, they just have the highest paid people in, in um, it's not even just Facebook, it's any tech company. Um, but Facebook is the example because, like, when was the last time we gave Facebook money? Like, how are they paying their people the, the highest salaries? And all of us, well, I don't use it, but the people that use it don't really pay Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so you start to go down that road of, like, wait, how do they make money? Oh, Oh, okay. This is interesting. And so, I don't know. To to have the regulatory system in place to make sure that it's not an abusive technology, mm -hmm. I think actually we would decide to do something else. Yeah. And so, anyways, yeah, that's the the other part. So, um, my company services a platform I built to manage companies. We do custom development and then teach software development as well. Very cool. And especially with COVID, school isn't really what school used to be, and so teaching now seems to be a nice fit. People are looking for something else to do, and kids are looking for other ways to learn, um, and software development is actually really, really fun. It's very, it's critical thinking, it's pattern matching, it's logic. Um, people always say, oh, I'm not going to be good at that because I'm not good at math, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't remember the last time I did math either. <laughs> um, 
it's logic and math is logical, but logic isn't always mathematical. Right. So it's very fun. It yeah. gets your brain thinking. It's, you know, it's better than playing video games. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and I think, uh, you know, I, I've been talking to, I've talked to people all the time and, um, when I'm talking to parents, um, or if I'm talking to, you know, high schoolers, um, a lot of the times they're like, well, you need to go to college to get a degree, to get a job and all these different things. And, and like we talked about before we started the podcast, there are fields that please go get a degree. If you're going to be a <laughs> yes. doctor, please get a degree. Uh, I'm not suggesting you should learn on Wikipedia, but there are so many avenues in today's world that you don't have to go to college. You don't have to go down this set path to have a career, um, to build the life you want or to be able to do the thing you like doing because there's so many more options now. Yep. Yeah, I'm working with a guy. I was talking with a guy uh, a couple weeks ago. We were working together, and he used to own a company in Seattle. He was a, he was a, dev- a developer, and then he managed a team of developers. He had 100 developers at his agency in Seattle. And um, <clears throat> I was asking, you know, I, I, have two, um, I have two guys that work for me doing software development, and I was asking him, you know, what do you look for? How do you do the hiring process? la di da di da And I asked him about college degrees, and he's like, oh, that we don't even ask. It doesn't, it's not even a consideration. It doesn't matter if you do. It doesn't matter if you don't. Like, can you do what you say you can do? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Can you learn? Great. Like, that's the biggest thing I watch for is, like, what is your ability to learn? Because software development moves so quickly. Even me, I, like, I can't keep up with it. It moves so quickly. It isn't really about your experience or credentials or degrees. It's not about that. It's, like, can you learn? If you can learn, you can do this because it's going to change every day. Like, no, I don't work on the same thing even in the same hour, let alone the same day. It's just constantly solving Bigger and bigger logic problems. Um, And that isn't a degree. It's not like you need a degree to solve logic. It's like you need logic to solve any problem anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's nursing or your pastor or you're doing coffee or like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just whatever job you go to, you're going to be problem solving. I guarantee that. Um, And so the better you are problem solving, the better you'll be at whatever it is you decide to do. And so the degree is kind of, especially in software development, because it's so unregulated, it's just like, how would, by the time we put a degree together, it would be outdated. Yeah. Like the tools that you learned there, we don't use anymore. Sorry. (laughs) Or it's not supported anymore. Or it's not supported anymore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So. All right. Very cool. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Uh, so the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? I really enjoyed getting you a bag of gummies for Christmas. <laughs> that was that was well worth it. Um, I don't know if that counts. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a hefty bag. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I, in the last three months... I don't know. I don't really. Oh, that's a Craigle. Oh, there you go. And everything Craigle. Uh, oh, a Sandwich. That's up there. Oh, there yeah. you go. Um, I haven't really bought anything in the last three months, which is saying something. Uh, it's Christmas. I, which I guess I didn't buy anything for Christmas. <laughs> um, I mean, I bought a mouse a while ago because I can't really code without a mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't. I wish I had a better answer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's kind of a hard one sometimes. 
especially pinning down something. I got a pair of Patagonia socks, Ooh. and they've changed my life. There you go. Yeah. My feet are very thankful. <laughs> All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. Uh, what would the first day look like here? Um, hmm. uh, we would probably go, well, we'd probably go down to my beach because the beach is great. Um, then we'd probably go out to, um, wow, uh, Anacortis. There's a lot of good hikes around Deception Pass. And there's kind of a donut house there, which oh, I'm yes. kind of a sucker for. <laughs> um, my parents and I have an agreement that if either of us ever go out to Anacortes, we have to bring donuts back for the rest of the family. Um, I would I would do the beach. I would do a hike out by Deception Pass. I would do a sunset and some tea. There's got to be a cup of tea in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and maybe play the piano. Mm, yeah. I think that's... I mean, I used to go to Seattle a lot, but I don't go to Seattle anymore. Right. Like, who wants to do that? Right. Um, I really enjoyed going to the um, the Gregorian chants or the, the monk chanting at St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle. I used to take a bunch of people there. But, you know, COVID, yep. so can't do that anymore. <laughs> a bunch of people with their mouths open? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm struggling to answer that because a lot of the things I would say we can't do anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that would be one of them. Yeah. Um, probably soccer. We'd, we'd kick a ball around somewhere yeah. and then, I don't know, make a good dinner. We oh, we have a bunch of organic vegetables because everybody needs more organic in their life yeah. and vegetables. And yeah. yeah. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? I just had coffee with somebody today and I told him that I was going to answer this question today with him. Brett Reed. <laughs> or my dad. I find my dad very fascinating. Yeah. Oh, and I guess technically he is a business owner as of a few years ago. So that would work. Yeah, Brett Reed, Jan Fekas. Nice. Very cool. Uh, interesting fact about Brett Reed, he was actually, he actually married Brittany and I. Uh, yes, we were talking about that today. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'd love to have them both on the podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Um, lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard, right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Oh, that's easy. Uh, delete Facebook. <laughs> that's a trick question because you can't actually delete your Facebook. Yeah. Well, you can Google it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> or, I don't know, put your phone down. Pay attention to the trees. Look at more trees, less phone. There you go. More trees, less phone. More I trees, like less phone. Sticker. I like that bumper sticker. Can we have that in the marketplace? Yeah, we can get that. Okay, sweet. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You are very welcome. This has been wonderful. <laughs> and Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Tobin Fekas for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP82. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP82. Thanks for listening and see you next time.